Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This episode is sponsored by Galaxy Gear Boutique. Galaxy Gear Boutique creates clothing that is out of this world. Everything is 100% handmade by Amber. You can get things that are already made like infinity scarves and head wraps and scrunchies, or you can order fandom clothing that is 100% made to order. Amber also recently launched Nebula Niceties, which is pop culture and bookish merchandise for all. You can follow them both at Galaxy Gear Boutique and at Nebula Niceties LLC to get the fandom merch of your dreams. Welcome to the Sartorial Geek Podcast. I am Jordan Denae, and I am so excited to be talking to Kim Taylor Foster today about her book, Why We Love the Matrix. Hi, how are you? Hi, Jordan. I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. We've somehow never talked about the Matrix on this podcast before, so (laughs) I think uh, some fans are going to be really excited. And this book is essentially like a love letter to the original trilogy before the fourth one comes out. It is. Yeah. I mean, the main focus is the first movie, but I do touch on the two sequels, of course, because they are an integral part of the whole story. But yeah, it's mainly focused around the original movie because that is the one that's so beloved, I think. Yeah. I remember when that movie came out, like it was the only thing anyone talked about for so long. It was huge. Yeah. And I go into this a little bit in the book, but when you look at some of the films that were out in that year, and particularly when I'm talking about in the Trinity chapter, there was American Beauty came out that year and American Pie, both of which represent women in a certain way. And Trinity is the antithesis of that. So yeah, it was a film that people were very ready for and it shook things up. Yeah. That's something that I think is really cool. I mean, I love pop culture. That's <laughs> that's why we have the podcast we have. And uh, that's what I spend my whole life doing. And one thing that I thought was really cool that you highlight in the book is all of the movies and stories, I guess mostly movies that came before The Matrix that like made it possible. And then all of the things that came after The Matrix that were very obviously influenced by it, which is really cool to see how they all sort of work together. Yeah, those movies that feed into The Matrix or that that influenced and inspired the film are something that are celebrated by the Wachowskis in the film and made, you're supposed to notice, you know, those references because they're important to the story and the themes of the book, of the movie, I think. So, you know, their love of Hong Kong cinema was something that they built into the movie, Uh, you know, the physical fights in an era when Hollywood was really focused on more and more VFX they wanted to create a movie that combined both visual effects and weren't they groundbreaking with um, physical stunts, you know? So yeah, the Kung Fu cinema is a really important part of The Matrix and um, was pioneering in Hollywood. It led to people like Quentin Tarantino sought out the stunt coordinator on The Matrix, Yuen Wu Ping, to work on the Kill Bill films, for example. Tarantino himself is famously like a fan of kung fu movies, but I'm not sure that Yuen Wu Ping would have worked on Kill Bill were it not for The Matrix. And I think there's such a cool, like these movies came out at the the beginning or like 
when visual effects were not what they are today, but it still holds up, I think, because it is a really smart combination of things. It doesn't look dated, which is so impressive because that's, what, over 20 years ago now? Exactly. And I mean, the same year, The Phantom Menace came out. and oh, you know, I, don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you feel about the effects in that film, but, but that was a film that was criticized at the time for its over-reliance on VFX. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they feel very different from each other. Yeah. I mean, I have, there's a place in my heart for the Phantom Menace. I'm not knocking it, you know, Absolutely. and as the years have gone on, I think more people have embraced it. But <laughs> yeah, as far as the way it looks, <laughs> they made really different choices. Totally. You're right. The Matrix stands up still and they pioneered bullet time, which is, of course, that famous scene in which Keanu Reeves' Neo avoids the bullets, you know, in slow motion. Which is... <laughs> Amazing. (laughs) And it's so wild. The end of your book talks about like the movies that have come after that were obviously affected by it. And I don't know if I actually realized that, you know, whether this is technically a superhero movie or not, but I didn't realize The Matrix was based on a comic, right? Is that what you said or no? They had created a comic, the Wachowskis originally. Okay. So it was their own story. Yeah. Which is so cool because I never think about The Matrix like when I think about the MCU and once you pointed that out in the book, I was like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, it it does, doesn't it? And with all those like iconic images like that bullet time sequence and and tons more, yes, it totally makes sense. You can draw a line back to comic book origins. Yeah, which is awesome. I guess like, why do you love The Matrix? Is that what made you write this book? Or like, what was your connection to it? Or what inspired you to put this together? Yeah, well, funnily enough, you know, when I first saw The Matrix, I liked it and came out of the cinema thinking, oh, well, that was quite a simple story. I get it. You know, this guy's living in this uh, or had been living in this virtual reality world. And what if that was us? But also you then start to apply the systems that we do live within, you know, in reality, in our own world anyway. So I came out thinking it was a fairly simple allegory. And then the more I explored it, the more I saw how much was actually in there, you know, in terms of themes and philosophies. You know, there's a philosopher called Jean Baudrillard, who I talk about a little bit, I touch on a little bit in the book, whose book Simulacra and Simulation from the 80s is woven into the fabric of the film. It's a book that the Wachowskis were kind of, I suppose it's fair to say, obsessed with. And and it even appears that book physically in the movie at one point. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. And that's all about, I mean, it's probably beyond my comprehension. It's very smart, but it's about the relationships between reality, symbols and society. And that is what The Matrix is. And, you know, during my research into the book, I found that the Wachowskis basically threw all of their ideas at the film. (laughs) But instead of it coming out as some kind of overstuffed mess, it's come out as this brilliant, genius, influential piece of work. So yeah, to answer your question, why I love The Matrix is there's just so much stuff in it that keeps giving and it's still such a relevant film today. And I think that's so impressive. (laughs) that there's still so much to talk about 20 years later. And also it came out in 1999. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Which was like the beginning-ish of the internet era. So to have it 
have landed <laughs> and like still work and still make sense is so impressive because yeah, like a lot, you touch on some of it, a lot of the stuff that came out around that time that's like about the internet feels so dated now. <laughs> I've got quite a lo- lengthy quote from Lee Wanell, the filmmaker in the book who was in the Matrix franchise. He played the character of Axel and then, you know, obviously went on to become a big director in Hollywood himself, having created or co-created the Saw franchise and Upgrade and uh, had a big hit earlier last year with The Invisible Man. And he talked about the exploitation films, as he called them, that came ahead of The Matrix, films like The Net, which starred Sandra Bullock, and um, Hackers with Angelina Jolie. And if you look back at them now, I mean, at the time, they didn't really capture the culture of the digital age. And they seem far more dated now. When you look at The Matrix, which just came along a handful of years later, you know, as you said yourself, you know, it still holds up today visually, but also in um, its kind of references to the digital age, to the internet, et cetera, you know? Yeah, that just is such an impressive thing because I feel like, you know, we didn't really know what the web was going to look like <laughs> in the future. And I guess it's just a testament to like how good that story is. Yeah. And also at that time in 1999, there was this fear. There was a a very kind of mainstream fear of technology because there was this thing called the millennium bug, which people were fearful was going to shut down the entire world, you know, because what happens when the clock ticks over to the year 2000. That was the theory that computers wouldn't be able to cope with it and uh, everything would crash. So it taps into that fear and the fear that had been kind of running through sci-fi for years, actually. You know, when you think back to the original movie Westworld to 2001 to Alien, there's this fear of kind of AI that's woven into sci-fi that kind of reached a peak, I think, at the end of the century. And the Matrix came along at the right time. You talk about a lot of the most famous scenes in the movie. Do you have a favorite scene from the Matrix? Yes, I do. And it's, um, I mean, it's not one of the action sequences, maybe surprisingly, but I love the Spoon Boy um, (laughs) encounter. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's because it encapsulates some of the key themes that are woven into the film in terms of reality, what is reality, what is real, an identity as well. And also you've got this convergence of sort of this idea of the importance of influences and other works in the movie. In this one scene, you've got references to the ending of Akira and also playing, there's a TV screen in this scene and playing on that TV is a film called Night of the Lepus, which is from the 70s, like this horror film, bizarre film with giant rabbits. And uh, that also, in a way, references Alice in Wonderland, which is a film that's woven through, or references to the literature anyway, to the original novel, woven through um, the film. You know, Neo is Alice. Yeah, there are so many things going on in this movie, (laughs) which I, you know, I think that's something that we keep coming back to. Like, there is so much stuff to talk about. And I remember... Like when the movie came out, I was like a young teen. And so I feel like this was one of the first times that there was a movie that like we all left and then wanted to talk about forever. And, you know, we didn't have as much 
social media or I guess there were like forums and stuff then, but I feel like it was one of those things that like at lunch in school or whatever age you were when it came out, like you just wanted to keep bringing up (laughs) new things that you realized about the movie. Well, yeah, I mean, it's cool. It looks amazing. It's got all this amazing action in it, amazing effects, but also underneath all that, it's got, you know, things that are relevant to talk about, like these deep philosophical questions that you can discuss if you want to, or you can just focus on the effects. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess that that is nice too. Like if you don't want to deep dive into all the philosophy, you can just enjoy how beautiful it is. (laughs) Yeah. Or spotting the Easter eggs, you know, all the movie references in it. Yeah. And uh, one thing, another thing that I love about the book is that at every chapter, there are, are these like wise words of Morpheus throughout the book, which is just a lovely touch. I mean, it was tough to whittle them down. He was full of wise sayings. But yeah, that's kind of, we fed those through as a sort of a, you know, kind of a light guide to living your life. Morpheus's philosophies, you know, the wisdom of Morpheus. And sometimes the quote's quite short, but means, you know, when you think about it, it can mean a lot to you. I did make a note of my favorite quote of his. This is one that resonated with me particularly. So he says, you're faster than this. Don't think you are. No, you are. Oh, I love that. Very Yoda, really, but they're both very wise gurus. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, maybe that's one of the things that like makes this movie so lasting is that when you have like real words of wisdom, they don't age or they're ageless, I guess, which is, that's so lovely. This book, I think, is the perfect gift for anyone who loves the matrix or like it's also kind of fun it made me want to rewatch the trilogy which is fun and i think a lot of people are going to be doing that as we're waiting for the fourth one i hope so obviously we've got the matrix four coming up at the end of the year it's still on for the end of the year and so it's very relevant and people will be revisiting the films anyway, I hope. But I hope it also um, encourages people to revisit the two sequels, which don't get as much love, of course, as the original movie, but add so much to the conversation about the film, the original film, and add so much extra kind of texture to the conversation. Yeah, that's true. I feel like the first one definitely does get the most love, but all of the movies are absolutely worth revisiting. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what they're doing with the fourth film. I know. We'll have to maybe have you back on after the fourth (laughs) one to talk about that. Because it is wild to have so many years later have another movie coming out. I know, right. And to get, I mean, Carrie-Anne Moss and Keanu Reeves are both coming back. And as far as I know, I don't think Lawrence Fishburne's coming back. But as far as I know, he was not asked. So that's interesting. Yeah. You know, it doesn't sound like he's refused. It makes me feel like there's a good script there. Uh, They've got a lot of additional talent on board as well. New actors, new talent, you know, coming into the franchise, which is exciting. That is so exciting. Do you happen to know? I have no idea. Does it seem like the fourth one is the end or that it's like opening up to more or do we just have to wait? and see what happens. I don't really know. I can only speculate. I know that it's, uh, I've heard rumors that it's going to be called Matrix Resurrection, but that's not confirmed. 
And of course, Neo and Trinity were supposedly gone and dead by the end of the third movie. Sorry, spoilers. (laughs) I hope that anyone listening is okay with spoilers to this 20-year-old trilogy. And and Resurrection, I guess, you know, relates to those two characters, but it does suggest a rebirth, doesn't it, of the franchise? We'll see. That'd be so exciting. I feel like this would be such a fun franchise to have more of at this time. I just did want to shout out about the illustrations in the book. Good. Yes. I was thinking (laughs) they're amazing. Well, exactly. I mean, obviously I haven't done them. I wouldn't be blowing my own trumpet like that. Yeah. This artist called Chris King has done all these original illustrations, which are beautiful. So yeah, you know, you were talking about it being a great gift book. It, It really is. And the design as a whole is great. Like all of the covers and all of the like all of the matrixy images everywhere. It's a it's a super well designed. And book. the theme of the, the falling green text throughout. Yeah. I love it. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for talking with me today. I am so excited. I hope all of the Matrix lovers listening get this book and uh and gift it to other people they know who love this. And I also, yeah, I hope this is a fun like guide for people who are revisiting the original trilogy this year before the movie comes out. I think this is a really, really fun read to go along with that. Thank you. Yeah. So this book comes out April 6th. Yeah. In uh, the US, it's April the 6th. I think it's a little bit later internationally, but uh, still April. So awesome. And you can pre-order now. Perfect. And uh, where can people follow you to like find other projects that you're working on or future books, that kind of thing? Yeah, so you're best to find me on Twitter. So I am uh, Kimbot, and that is K underscore Imbot, very snappy. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, you know, I also work at Fandom. I'm the entertainment editor there. So you can uh, keep up with my articles and things and my appearances on Screen Junkies there. That's so awesome. Thank you so much, Kim. This has been lovely. I'm so excited for this book. Thank you very much. Me too. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our episode. If you want to hear more like this, you can subscribe to the Sartorial Geek podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help us out, you can leave us a rating or a review or head to patreon.com slash sartorialgeek. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye.